Welcome to the Intentional Growth Podcast, the show that teaches you how to grow the value of a company with an end in mind. Host Ryan Tansom interviews top business leaders, authors, entrepreneurs, and other professionals who share their experience and expertise about buying, growing, and selling companies. Welcome back to the Intentional Growth Podcast. This is episode 223. Today, we're going to be talking about the power of the right mindset and when that combines with discipline and relentless execution, that your ability to grow a valuable company that gives you choices and freedom and the passion to wake up every day knowing that what you're doing and the hard work that you're putting in is worth every single bit of effort. Today's guest name is Nick Bradley. He started a podcast called Scaling Up Your Business that is ranked number one in the UK business charts on iTunes and Spotify, and yours truly has been a guest on it. Over the decade, he has helped grow and scale 22 businesses that have sold for combined value of over $5.2 billion, and his last sale was sold for 14X. Nick also owns seven companies. And to top it off, Nick has run 60-some marathons and 20-some ultramarathons, which, by the way, is three Ironmans together in one. Yeah, Nick and his desire for seeing the big picture and then executing the plan to get to that picture is like someone I've never seen before. And the reason I'm excited to have Nick on the show today is because when I first met him, we started chatting and I was like, oh my gosh, the way that he views business and the world is so much in line with what we're doing at Arcona and the intentional growth principles. Another reason I'm excited to have Nick on the show is because there's something unique that I find about entrepreneurs and business owners that have the financial background of understanding how to do deals, what valuations and value creation and selling a company is like, combined with operational execution of the day-to-day inside the business from the people, the processes, the systems, and the service delivery of their product and service. If you think about it like a Venn diagram, and this is what Nick and I are going to be talking about, is that if you have one circle that is finance, so valuations, discounted cash flow, understanding internal rates of return, and then you have the other circle, which is operational execution, sales and marketing, and really just the internal guts of the day-to-day of running a company, if you overlap those two and create a Venn diagram, the people that know the area in the middle of financials and the increasing value and operational execution, it's very unique to have both of those two. And that's truly what we've been trying to get through to people on this podcast, that if you understand valuations and how to create value by implementing the right strategies that increase your multiple and your EBITDA, you're going to have a valuable business that gives you choices and freedom. Nick and I discuss how important it is to know what your big picture is, the vision that you have for you and your business, and then building a strategic plan to grow value with that big vision in mind. So Nick describes to us his six peaks of value creation. The first one is purpose, then it's profit, proposition, predictability, process, and people. There's so much alignment with Nick's six value creation peaks and our five intentional growth principles. And what I find enjoyable that I hope you take out of this is that the fact that Nick's experience led him to this framework on how to grow value with the end in mind is so similar to our five principles that 
There's a common theme here is that you have to know what you want and why, how to grow a more valuable business, how deals work in order to create the most amount of choices for yourself. That Venn diagram, your goal should be is how do I get in the middle of that so I understand the financials and I understand operations and how to tie those two together with your vision and a plan to grow value so you can have the most amount of choices as possible with your business. Nick's got a lot of energy and a lot of passion and I hope he pushes some of that off onto you so that way you can take some of these gold nuggets that are in this episode and then go implement them into your business. Don't forget to check out our intentional growth course and course and coaching options. You go to arcona.io, check out the education tab, and you can dive into a world of knowledge and education on valuations, value growth, strategic planning, the financials, and how all the exits work so you can do exactly what Nick and I are talking about, which is grow the value of your business with an end in mind. Without further ado, here's my episode with Nick Bradley. Sponsored by Arcona's Intentional Growth Digital Course. Ryan Tansom and Pat Hobby show you how to shift your mindset away from solving for annual income to focusing on strategies that create long-term value, giving you the freedom and choices to take control of the future destiny of your business. Accelerate your knowledge with 36 videos and dozens of exercises that combine decades of experience buying, growing, and selling companies. Learn more by going to arcona.io or visiting the show notes. Nick, how you doing, man? Hey, Ryan. I'm awesome, man. Thank you very much for having me on your show today. I'm uh, ready to go anywhere you want to go. <laughs> I was going to say, so it's a, it's a good thing that I was on your podcast as you, after you got done with vacation because I think me grilling you after vacation would not have been as enjoyable as you interviewing me. <laughs> It took, it took me a bit of time to get my brain back, you know, because again, with, with the, the year that we've had, I, I mean, I was so used to traveling and then obviously not traveling for so long. And then two weeks uh, in the Greek islands, literally unplugged. Yeah, uh, it was amazing. Wait, yeah, it took some time. <laughs> Wait a second. Why do I not have a cocktail in my hand? And uh, we're talking business. So, exactly. man, no, I'm super excited because like when you and I had chatted, there was just so many similarities of just our mindsets and our thoughts and how we're working with business owners, also going through our own journeys ourselves. But for the listeners that are not familiar with you, what you're doing, just give us the highlight of the things that you think are important, then we'll go back and unpack a bunch of stuff. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll do a bit of an intro for everybody. So um, I suppose the starting point really is I had a pretty full-on corporate career for about 15, 20 years working for some of the largest companies in the world. So the biggest one of that was News International under Rupert Murdoch. Uh, but I work with some other really interesting businesses. There's a, a, ma a massive publisher in the UK, which was called Cold EMAP at the time, it actually is sold to um, the Bauer Group, but it was actually one of the first deals that I was involved in. And um, we'll get into that in a bit more detail, but that was back in 2008. But the last sort of decade or so, I've worked mainly in the, in the field of private equity, uh, working not so much as the finance guy, not as the, the smart MBA dude with the spreadsheet. You know, I wasn't quite that guy. I think you're better at that than I am, certainly. Oh, I don't know, man. <laughs> don't be too quick to judge. <laughs> it's not my superpower. But, you know, the thing was, I was kind of more the operating guy. Um, so I was more involved in, you know, what do we need to do strategically in this business how do we need to build the teams? How do we need to structure it appropriately to kind of drive growth and value? And I was involved in a number of exits over that time, um, heaps of acquisitions, around 22 in total. And last counts, it was about $5.2 billion in enterprise value through those deals. But actually, I realized that I missed a couple. So I think it's more than that now. <laughs> but, you know, it depends what you count. But the point being is I've spent my life 
<laughs> Round it off to a nice even six billion, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, the, the, I suppose the the long and the short of it, you know, uh, I suppose years and years of just doing deals, growing businesses, and and everything that goes in and out around that, the investment cycle, the leadership cycle, all of it. And now I um, I do a similar thing now. So it's, you know, I didn't, I didn't kind of give up the world of private equity altogether, but there was a bit of a moment where I thought, you know what, I need to, I need to jump to the other side of the table and, um, and effectively sit next to some of the entrepreneurs and the business owners that we were supporting. And the reason behind that was not so much that I, I, I kind of had enough of the sort of the, 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 the boardroom that <laughs> the boardroom of a private equity firm, which is a bit like succession and billions combined together. You watch those shows. No, well, yeah, um, of course I do. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's a bit like that. I, I just, I just sort of thought, you know what? I saw lots of really good businesses that weren't necessarily getting the right direction and the right investment. So I decided to kind of jump onto the side of the entrepreneur and to help them navigate this kind of complex world. Mm-hmm. When you've got a business that has the potential to sell for millions tens of millions, hundreds of millions, what needs to happen with more precision? So off the back of that, I launched my podcast, Scale Up Your Business, launched a number of different businesses off the back of that. Mm-hmm. And now I've got seven separate companies in different areas. But the main place I spend my time on is, is helping entrepreneurs and investors build valuable businesses, you know, so that they can create wealth and do some amazing things, make a bigger impact on the world. And this is where I think, I mean, when you and I jumped on our call, uh, there was just so much uh, similarities with our, how we got to this kind of mindset. And, you know, maybe I can kind of just throw out a couple of different themes that resonate with me, with your background, and then we can kind of dive into whatever directions we want. But like, you know, the, 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 the fact that you went from like investor, private equity, you did all these deals, and then you went into the entrepreneur phase. And like, I think you and I had maybe talked about like, there's like this Venn diagram that I've described where you have like the financiers who just understand all these complicated things that you and I have talked about and that I've talked about on the show, but then you have the operators and very few people know the in-between, right? Like I was in like, okay, we're going to drive this asset and grow value, but I also know how to deal with people, firing people, implementing a new ERP system, like the actual in the trenches, dirty shit that grows the value. There's not a lot of overlap with the people that have done the same thing. And I just, you know, you, there was a, some of that stuff that resonated with me. And then, you know, that's where you came up with a lot of your, the, some of the models that you talk about how you're doing that. Yeah. I don't know if you're yeah. any kind of, you know, thoughts on like that Venn diagram thought. I mean, yeah, I'm, I think if you think about where sort of this whole kind of idea of private equity, particularly, and that sort of investment came from, uh, a lot of it was academic right? A lot of it came from either bits of paper and spreadsheets or flip charts and whiteboards. And <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, you know, yeah. and I, one of the first, I mean, I was, I've been, if I look back, actually, my, I suppose, exposure to private equity goes back probably two decades because the first deal that I was involved in presenting, not so much because um, I was not quite that senior in the company, was, was a 2 billion exit of EMAP to Bauer Media in around 2007. And that was just before the crash. It was one of the last big deals. That's two billion pounds mm-hmm. for the sort of 2008 crash. And then I went from there to, to uh, a business called Getty Images, and that was just—I mean, God—you know—talk about learning on the job. Uh, <laughs> that business, I think it was bought and sold five times. Not not in the times I was there, but it went IPO and then it came back and it was sold to private equity twice. So, so Jonathan Klein is a magician. You know, he, he basically sold his business five times, and every time he made more money. Um, but you know, I remember sitting, uh, literally at the board table with, with some private equity guys. And I remember thinking back then, I, again, I wasn't, you know, the CEO or anything like that. I was in part of the senior team, 
remember thinking, this doesn't feel right, right? There's some missing pieces here, which is kind of where you're going with the Venn diagram, mm -hmm. which is, you know, a business is not really just a set of figures. That is the important part. But there, there's an emotional context to this mm -hmm. as well. You know, there's this whole idea that you've got to have a strong mindset, to some extent a heart set. You've got to, you've got to realize that you've got to have competency and empathy and talk about that in terms of leadership. And they're things that you, you don't learn just by doing a great MBA. And probably the, the closest way I can describe it and probably the bit that I do, it's a little bit like a doctor that's got no bedside manner. You know, they might have yeah. passed every exam. You know what I mean, right? They might be able to diagnose. And you want you want that person to diagnose the problem. But when the bad news needs to be delivered or the good news or whatever it needs to be, you probably don't want that person necessarily delivering that. It needs to be done with a certain style and a certain confidence. And that's probably the gap that you're talking about. Yeah, and what's interesting, Nick, too, to pull on that, that analogy is, you know, and a lot of doctors you know, depending on where they got their education from are going and they're just solving symptoms, like go in there, surgery or, you know, medication. And it's like, and you and I are both uh big uh, exercise freaks. And you're like, wait a second, uh, maybe you should sleep well, eat well, exercise. Then let's figure out if you've got a problem. Right. And like, yeah, yeah. And, 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 and need both sides. You do. And, and, and that's the gap. I mean, I like the way you talk about in terms of a Venn diagram. So I mean, most of the stuff I do now is when I work with um, a company, with, with a founder, uh, normally it's an investor-backed business. So it's either venture capital-backed, you know, it might be the first time they've got their Series A or something like that, and they don't know what they're going to do with it, um, or they have an idea what they're going to do with it, but then I work with them, they realize that's, you know, they're going to do something different with it. Um, <laughs> or it's private equity, and the businesses are not growing as quickly as private equity would like. Now, that means that I'm sometimes brought in by the firms. Mm -hmm. uh, other times it's a direct relationship with the founders, but because of the background I have, you know, that works. But I, the, the smallest amount of time that I work with someone, Ryan, is 12 months. So it's 12 months, right? Mm -hmm. I come in and over that 12 months, we are going to take you from where you are now to where you want to be. We're very clear on that. It's a very precise intervention. Mm -hmm. We also gain share. So we have fees, of course, to work with companies, but at the same time, we also take a percentage of the upside because we're confident that we're going to drive that. So we want to be part of that. And we call it a partnership. It's a partnership. We are here to help you get from where you want, where you are now to where you want to be. And mm -hmm. then after that, what often happens is we, we get asked to be non-execs or I'm chairman of two companies and we get some equity or sometimes we actually put our own money into these businesses as well. Mm -hmm. And so that's the model. And it's a little bit different because it's not just a consultancy play or an advisory play. It has elements of those things. Sometimes it's coaching, sometimes it's mentoring. But what it really is, is, you know, sitting next to the business leader, being involved in all the key decisions and being that sounding boy board, being that point of accountability and also being that sort of that challenge and support as required. It's super interesting. Uh, have you read any of Nassim Taleb's uh, material, Black Swan, Anti-Fragile, or anything? Like, no, got... but it's come up a couple of times. Particularly oh, Black dude, Swan. Guy, again, this might be more of my like, uh, finance desire or like finance passion coming up. But he wrote, <laughs> he wrote the Black Swan and Anti-Fragile, but he also wrote one. Um, oh, God, I'm getting a couple of books mixed up. It's like, it's, and it's, his whole thing is he's like the most brilliant risk assessment analyst in the i mean he made a wow. gob of money back in 08 but it, it, anyways he talks about the overall world and how have like the nature of advice and risk is like if someone has is giving advice but they don't have a stake in the outcome how ridiculous it is 
Like they have yeah. no accountability for their shitty advice. <laughs> and but so, why would you not want it? I mean, I've got a client that's um, you know uh, literally tripled the size of their business in the last nine months through COVID. Now, there's a couple of things that we did, and dare I say it, were obviously intentional, but they were timed right, you know, for whatever reason. So there's a little bit of serendipity in the whole play. Yep. But you know, in that situation, you know, I knew that he had the potential to grow quickly. We didn't quite think that quickly, right? To be frank, I was a bit more risk averse to it, you know, be a bit prudent, but you know, as I say, you know, if, and we're not, we're talking, not talking about massive percentages here. We're talking about a, a small chunk of money that, that gives us the incentive, but also shows that we're serious. Mm-hmm. But you know, if someone says to me, I want to put, you know, millions on my top line and sometimes it's bottom line, sometimes it's top line, it's usually top line with the businesses that we're working in, then the investment that they're putting in what we do is tiny. And what mm-hmm. I often say is we've got to spend the money somewhere. You're not going to put millions on your top line by just sitting there mm-hmm. and you're not going to get it by just hiring some sales supremo from the biggest company down the road. Yep. So, you know, you probably want to be investing with people who have been there and done that because that's going to give you more certainty. So when you're, and I think there's an interesting, as we, as we talk, kind of pull this thread on the, this Venn, Venn diagram, I think there's uh, some key concepts that we talk about. And I think you're, you touch on a lot too, that um, I want to pull apart from your experience where the kind of the people in the middle are ones that have shifted their mindset towards long-term value growth. You need to mention about growing the company and growing the value to be able to choose the exit. Right. And so there's a shift in mindset, but then there's also an understanding of when we're reinvesting the cash flow and the capital, how are we growing that multiple and de-risking the company? And then what are the factors of success? And I think it talks, it's a lot about, you have to have that investor mindset and, you know, separating your payroll, (laughs) your job pay from the overall equity of the business. So maybe we can talk, Nick, like, you know, you had talked about six pillars in a previous podcast that I listened to of yours, but then also like this overall, like when you're coming in from an investor perspective, or even when you were on the investor table before jumping onto the other side with the entrepreneurs, what is it that you're doing to get across to people, the shift in mindset, how to think like the middle of that Venn diagram and then to focus intentionally on going from point A to point B. Yeah, I mean, let's start talking about the mindset piece because I think, and and, and also, you know, there, there are different types of businesses in terms of kind of what that, that business leader, that business owner wants to achieve, right? So, you know, a lifestyle business, which gives you a certain degree of freedom, which has, you know, maybe eight people in it, and there's no ambition to ever sell that business. It's purely just there for an income is a very, very different ideology than what we're talking about here, right? That's why when I said beforehand, I work with investor-backed businesses, it's probably better to say it's businesses that are prepared to take investment on Mm -hmm. because investment is going to drive their growth either faster or to a bigger place to create more impact. Well, it's interesting to you just to pull, like to to comment on one of that. Like, I think the worst place people can live is in purgatory of wanting their company that with the eight people making a million dollars in revenue wanting or thinking that that's going to be worth 5 million. So they're not saving the income, right? So like, it's like this both you, you want both worlds, but you have neither. <laughs> You're spending. No, all your- no. And, and, and there's a lot of people like that, but a lot of, you know, a lot of the, the businesses that I, I, again, sort of seven figure businesses, you know, wanting to sell for eight to nine figures is pretty much the sweet spot. They might be eight figure businesses as well, but, but you know, they're, they're, they're a good business, right? They're making money, but there's an idea there that they don't quite know what the next move is going to be. And so first and foremost, to the question around mindset, you've got to, and this is one of the things, I call it the six peaks of, of value creation. The first one is 
is I call it purpose, but it's it's really just a catch-all for understanding where you want to go, knowing what those options are, and understanding why that really matters to you. So every business has a purpose, it has an intent, and that usually comes off off what that owner is trying to achieve, you know, or the the mix of the owner investor. What are they wanting to do? So that first piece is I, I really cannot work with a business if unless there's clarity there. And, and so I, I mean, we can't. If someone says, "Well, I don't know," you go, "Well, well, well then, what are, we, what are we doing, <laughs> right? What are we doing?" If someone says, uh, equally, actually, this is quite interesting. I get a lot of people turn up to me, and they've got like this idea on a piece of paper, and it looks quite, you know, it is what it is, like early, early stage, and they go, "Oh, this is a unicorn," hmm. and I go, "It's not." <laughs> <laughs> it's a diagram on a piece of paper. Yeah, and and you know. It might be a little bit more than that, but but equally, there's a, there's a nice spot in the middle, right? There's a nice spot in the middle where you get this ambitious entrepreneur who hasn't got, you know, is ambitious to the point where they want to create something special, but they also are pragmatic and real about kind of what it's going to take to get there, realizing it's going to be a journey. And they're also realistic about the wealth that they want to create, the value that they want to drive. And they're the best ones. Oh, and so... Awesome. Yeah, because you know, you sit there and say, "Okay, what's your number?" And you know, I can, I can, I can probably tell with a really high level of precision what everyone's number is because I've asked the question so many times. And it's usually right; it's usually around fifteen to twenty million. <laughs> is that is that enterprise purchase price or is that net price? No, that's, that's in the that's in the pocket. <laughs> yeah, uh, right. buy the Porsche. <laughs> Uh, you know, set the kids up in school fees, you know, make some investments, maybe move into the world of owner investor, yep. you know, buy some small business, do whatever. Right. But it gives you choices and it's all about freedom. Yep. But but that, that still means for them to kind of sell their business, they're going to be selling their business, you know, in the, in the tens of millions mark, mm-hmm. depending on the shareholdings and, and all the fees and all the other bits and pieces that come out, but they're good to work with because, you know, we can work out a process of what it's going to take you know, it might be a 24 month window or whatever it is. Normally it's somewhere between 12 months and 36 months. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay. Let's, let's, let's be really clear here and work back from that. Okay. Yeah, but, Who you, well, like, I was okay. just going to say it's super interesting. Just on that note, on just the size of companies and mental, like you just, I think captured something that, uh, you know, I've realized over the years too, is so many businesses that really, really, really want help are too small where it is just a job. They don't have the income or the capital to fund their growth to get to the next stage. And then you have, so like this, the stage that you talked about is really important because they've got the resources to do the things that they need to do almost to act like their own private equity, whether they're private equity backed or not, is to reinvest that cash flow versus they've already gone over that hump of like, okay, I've now got, you know, distributions and I've got cash to reinvest. And they're not so big that it's, you know, there's boardrooms and too much bureaucracy that they're not actually privately investor owned. No. And I know when we, um, we spoke about this, when you were on um, scale up your business, we spoke about the, that sort of mental shift towards this. I mean, I have a, I have a philosophy in my businesses, right? Whereas whatever dividend comes out of the businesses, we always leave 50% in Mm -hmm. always. So, um, and, and, you know, and within that, we also, um, if we do pay ourselves in any, in any other way, it's very, very, um, low amounts of money on a, on a kind of recurring basis. And, and what percent, just curious, I, where'd you get the 50%? Is that something that you guys over, over one time? of my mentors who's, who's got his net worth is in the sort of five, 600 million, um, gave me that piece of insight a number of years ago. So it wasn't actually from private equity. It was mm-hmm. from someone who was a, a very successful entrepreneur. Yep. And I just always thought of it as a very, I mean, you know, it could be any number, right? But the, the point being is that feels about the right number. Yeah, then, you've, 
Yeah, I, I mean, do you have a separate view on that? No, right? I, honestly, that's like when I've seen it in the past. If there, if it is almost as rare as a unicorn for someone that has that level of discipline and clarity of how much distributions they're going to reinvest, and the fifty percent is something that we've seen. If if we've gone across it, or if it, if we're yeah. any thoughts, it's like start there and see if it feels right or not. <laughs> I don't think there's. I mean, there probably is a Harvard paper on this somewhere, but I haven't read it. Um, <laughs> and neither have I. And yeah, you know, it comes back to right, you know when you're building wealth and you're, and you're sort of um, creating assets and have different asset classes and all that sort of stuff, I find that the investment back of, of money into various things in its own right becomes enjoyable. So you don't need to sort of be spending a lot of money on material stuff. Um, and this is my personal view. I mean, one, once you've got a few things that are important to you that you're passionate about, then the rest of it is more about experiences and anything else. But it doesn't, it doesn't take a lot of money to have a pretty great lifestyle, depending on your you know your view of that so therefore you've got if you if you've got a business that's working well and it's generating cash you've got choices to either invest that cash into other things mm-hmm. um or invest that in the business either strategically or operationally and both of those things are going to compound over time and create more wealth which means you can have um, a greater impact on other things depending on what you know your your longer term vision is and I, this is the perfect time to keep going on your six peaks because what you just described, I think, is there's that level of clarity where once you have kind of like mentally digested what you just said and made that a truth, like, oh, you're right, I don't need this much stuff. I can actually like, and now I have the ability to reinvest this cash because I've determined that's important to me. Kind of goes back to your mindset of that shift and saying, okay, now that I'm, I've determined I want to play that game that you just described. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm bought in, Nick. So like. Now that you kind of have that that person that's paying attention to that, maybe kind of walk us through the rest of like, okay, then what do you do? What is someone? Yeah, can- I'll take you through the six peaks because I think the, the way I look at the six peaks is all about value. So it's called, um, I suppose it's a methodology, right? It's, it's, it's kind of how I think about things in terms of principles. So it's the six peaks of value creation. And, and just to be super clear, I know lots of people listening to your podcast will get this, but, you know, what is value, right? <laughs> you know, and there's academic, you know, parts around that. Again, we can talk about revenue and profit and, mm-hmm. and whatever else. And I had Tim Collar from McKinsey on my podcast talking about this and, you know, getting all sorts of equations out on his, on his pad of paper. But in reality, you know, value is, is, is in many cases, both objective and subjective, right? There's a way of calculating it, but there's also the, the value is what someone will pay for something, right? You know, and when I sold the last big company I sold, which was um, involved in, which sold for, for a couple of billion, this was in 2017, you know, it sold for 14 times profit. And, you know, we had so many different offers that were all over the place, but it, it came back to what that company was going to do to the acquirer, mm-hmm. et cetera. And we've talked a little bit about these areas, but, but, you know, so the six peaks of value creation, when I talk about that, it's the characteristics of businesses that are outstanding because, they have, first and foremost, they have an understanding about what each of these characteristics is. So they have a plan around it or they have a, a view, they have a, they've made a decision and they've optimized it. So what they are, to take you through it. So the first one, as I mentioned before, is purpose. And as I said, it's a catch-all really for, you know, do I know where I want to go? Do I know my starting point? And is that, you know, the middle of the compass, the why really clear? Mm-hmm. Because you know, we all know that entrepreneurship and business ownership and all of that stuff is a roller coaster. You've ne- you've got to have a really clear purpose and a really clear intent to to navigate that well, and and that's partly where the mindset piece comes into it as as much as anything else. Mm-hmm. The second is profit, and there's two parts of this for me. 
there is, and it's all underpinned by cash. It's, it's having enough of a runway back to my, why do I, why do I have 50%? Well, because when COVID hits, I'm absolutely fine. right? It's not just about the sort of defense. It's also the fact that I can play offense better than anybody. So when an opportunity comes up, I've, I've, you know, I have that ability to do it. And so it doesn't mean that I'm against, you know, technology companies that are pre-profit that sell for, you know, massive multiples on recurring revenue. It's just, I tend to feel that there needs to be an understanding of where profitability is going to come from in that journey. At some point, uh, right? Like, point. show me a map. <laughs> like, a lot of people, you know, be so, I mean, you must see this. I, a lot of people can't answer that question. So I, I, I often say you need to have a relentless focus on profitability, even if you're not profitable, but it has to be a lens, a characteristic that, that yep. shapes you. Yep. And the best businesses I've worked with and have sold and whatever else have had that. So th- third one is proposition. And it's not just um, a product or a service. It's, it's what I call the whole piece. So it's the value proposition, which is ultimately the combination of a product ecosystem or service ecosystem and the experience that your client, your customer has. And the one, this is actually quite an interesting one because quite often when a business is not firing, the first thing we do is we look at the, the crispness of their market in terms of their, their vertical market or their customer segmentation. Um, and quite often what's happened is the businesses got greedy or they've changed their thinking. They've become clouded and they're going after all these different types of customers in all these different types of markets. And then they mean nothing to everyone as opposed to something to someone. Yep. <laughs> and yeah, it's, 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 it's partly a little bit of what I used to do in my marketing days, but you know, as soon as you go niche, you go tighter, all of a sudden you start to get significant growth again. Isn't that crazy, dude? And like, I, uh, there's this, I don't know if I mentioned it when I was on your show, but like there was a gentleman named Sonny Vanderbeck that was on my, uh, my show. He, uh, Satori Capital, it's a yes. I think you said he'd be good to come on mine. I think oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, Sonny, we'll, we'll forward this off and we'll get him on your show. So he had raised over a billion dollars, conscious capitalist invest, investment fund, no timeline. So he invests, I mean, huge equity, but what he had said, the reason I bring it up is he said, you know, to stay true to the value of your customers by constantly creating value, then you're, then you're constantly focused on your customer and the problems you're solving. But the moment you go from value creation to value extraction, the equation's messed up, right? Because you're constantly going into a defensive mode, playing games, doing different things to different people. And you're in the ivory tower versus paying attention to what your customers want. And the other thing around this, why, why it's an important one. And when I kind of came up with this methodology, it was, it was a few years ago now, but the pace of change through both technology and everything else that's going on is, is so much faster. And, and we have a different way of working now. We, we only work in sort of almost, I call it 90 day cadence, but it's a three month sprint. We don't believe in annual plans anymore because um, the world's changing so quickly. And so your proposition, your, your value proposition might be relevant one year and then, you know, six to 12 months later, because the world's changed, it may not. And obviously we've seen that through COVID with events, businesses and travel, but it's across any industry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, so for me, it's probably the, the summary of that one is, yeah, what you said is have an external viewpoint. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll go through the others. So four is um, predictability, predictable business. I mean, this is probably my favorite because I, I say, you know, all great businesses, outstanding businesses have a consistent flow of the right customers coming in, driving recurring revenue. And two really important parts. It's not just predictable, but it's going into recurring revenue. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I, it's funny, this is, this is partly about, you know, in a very crude way, people call it their funnel. Um, but 
you know, I, I, I get really um, passionate, probably overly passionate about um, marketing and sales process, you know, and, and I get so, I've, I've created so many really interesting, let's call it um, points along the processes that are almost, almost they seem inconsequential, but they make a big difference in terms of moving someone from a stranger into someone who really trusts you. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I found, and you probably find this too, the podcast for me is part of that for what happens. People listen to me. I've had some people who literally binge listen. And then when they finally have a conversation or they want me to help with their business, it's, it's like, oh my God, you're a real person. <laughs> oh, yeah. Or, yeah. Or they're like, have you had it where like, they're like, yeah, I know you so well. I'm like, this is the first, remember this is the first time I've met you. So like they, they, they're like jumping right into. It's bizarre, like, right? But, but the whole, the whole point in though, right. Is like, you know, there's a bit where if I just put out, you know, a faceless brand or a, an ad or something like that, the traditional ways that people would go and drive awareness for their businesses, it's going to be very, very difficult in a world that we're in now to get any type of cut through or stand out and be remarkable. So there is one thing I say is a definition of scale up is the ability to work well within structure and process. And every part of your business has that, but in the marketing and sales area, it's one of the areas, it's probably the first one, because if you're not acquiring customers, you're not building revenue, you're not driving value anyway. Right. So, so predictability there, is that. There was one thing that you said with works well within the structure of what, say that one sentence again, because I think it's important for, if I, if I think what you're getting at is for entrepreneurs who like the flashy objects or they're creative at, at, in their natural being, you said works well within a structure. How did, how did you say works that? Works well within structure and process because I said, I said it's the definition of scale-up. So I think where you're going on this is if you, and I often say this, I often say the identity of someone who's great at starting businesses is not the same as someone who's great at scaling them. You see examples of that all the time where a CEO is brought in to a startup halfway through to drive it to a different place. It doesn't mean that the founders can't be that person, but they have to realize that they have to grow and evolve significantly. And one of the big things is this idea of going from chaos to, to sort of complexity to some extent, because the complete, there's more complexity when you've got more people and more personalities and you've got more things going on. You've got multiple sites or multiple geographies that's complex the only way to navigate that is by having clear structure and process and there's a whole heap of habits around that around things like discipline and consistency Mm -hmm. but but you can't scale a business unless you have those things in there interesting so the uh uh i interviewed this woman named Allie taylor um a couple months ago she's a phd in say a business psychology and she said that literally when you look at the numbers of where people uh hit the ceiling five you know the five million dollar mark they're only 95 percent of companies are below 95 percent of companies are below that and it just you know incrementally gets harder and it's truly the ability to relinquish control and manage complexity is what she said yeah. It's like dissip, you know, dissipate yeah. your ego, delegate, and understand the complexities behind it. So it's tr- truly a mindset. Yeah, and le- and leadership. You know, and that leadership piece starts with self leadership. So the fifth, the fifth peak, therefore, is process. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> and, and and quite often that for me is about where you use technology, where you use data, where you use insight, where you have measurement across all the parts of the chain. Not, I mean, I don't. I'm not a big believer that you have to have heaps and heaps of processes in businesses. I mean, I've got in my core business we have a process for customer acquisition we have a process for delivery and fulfillment how we how we work with our clients and then we have processes around effectively um expenses and income Mm -hmm. 
but that's really it. And that sits on a very, very clear dashboard and it's all measured, but the handoffs between those processes are really, really clear. Mm-hmm. And, and to some extent, probably over-documented, but I remember reading um, a book by a guy called James Kahn, who's a, a very successful um, businessman in the UK. He was one of the guys on Dragon's Den, so the equivalent of Shark Tank. And he said something quite crude, actually. He said, I don't trust people, I trust process. And I don't like that. But I like the fact that he, he, he's got a manual for every job in his companies so that if someone you know, doesn't work out, he can just get someone else to follow the, follow the manual. And, you know, on that note, like Ray Dalio, what he does inside of Bridgewaters, it's like all the algorithms only to bring him the anomalies. So it's like constantly automate the drudgery so that he and the people that are the rock stars can manage the anomalies with their experience. And then and then the last one to finish it off, the last one, because we're going there anyway, which is obvious, is people, right? Yep. And it's at, at its simplest, it's making sure you have the right people, right people, right seats. Uh, you make sure that you look after them. So, you know, you treat everyone with respect. You have, again, the right structure around how you uh, reward and how you manage overall performance. And also, and this is the one thing I think a lot of businesses make, they might be doing really well in the other peaks, but they've missed out on culture. They haven't really worked out about things like value standards and principles. And I learned this at Getty where we had seven leadership principles and there was 10 interviews to get a job there and it was, it was mental. But if you want to ever see an example of a company that lived those principles, I mean, you were, your bonus was paid, 40% of your bonus was paid on effectively your peer peers in the company uh, scoring how well you lived that period of time against those principles. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the 360-degree review right there. <laughs> wow. And, and, you know, it, it, some of it was a little bit crazy because after every meeting, you would, you know, you would assess whether the meeting, you know, did anyone in the room not, to, you know, act to these principles? Mm-hmm. And some, you know, some of them were things like no silos, you know, mm-hmm. all that sort of stuff. But that culture, it was almost militants. Mm-hmm. But then you look at the success that Getty had in terms of, you know, its enterprise value, the fact that it sold five times well in the billions. Mm-hmm. A lot of it came down to both that the strategy in those areas. But I think when I think back to that business and I think now about the six peaks, that's a business where it was optimizing every single one of these and, and therefore it became a very, very valuable business. So when you look at like the companies that you've worked with or people have been on your podcast, you know, one of the things that I, you know, the common themes that I see is one of the biggest barriers and I'm curious and how you're how you help people process this, Nick, is like this ability to say as a founder, right, that you have this vision, you have this passion for the business, maybe the impact that you want to make, you know, kind of going back to your, your number one, which is our principle number one is your drivers, what do you want and why? Like, so very much aligned in that. And how do you help people connect that with you know, your growing value is always the path to getting more choices. I mean, it's just more wealth, more value, more infrastructure, but you know, when and how people liquidate their, their company from an asset perspective, right? The equity of that and aligning their personal objectives with that exit, you know, because like I just, so many people don't realize that, you know, they're that, all that they, they built this world around them in the business to accomplish a lot of the personal desires of creating this great life and how that could be aligned with the different exit because you're paint, you're handing off this asset to someone else that might want to drive an internal rate of return, right? That might have different desires to do with the business that you do. And so I'm just curious on how you're aligning what people want, the value creation and the eventual 
exit of this? If you've got some core, like you've seen themes or common challenges or. Um, yeah. And this is where it comes back to, you know, we, we spoke about this at the beginning of the conversation. There are, there are very different paths of how you can do things. Right. And there are different motivations around it. Not everyone, you know, wants to go and make 15, 20 million off the sale of their business. You know, some people, the legacy and the impact, and we've talked a little bit about conscious capitalism. Some people it's about that. So, you know, I've, I've been involved in deals where, you know, the owner of the business is going to walk away with very much close to nine figures, but won't sell the business because of an integrity point or, uh, you know, a disillusionment or something like that. So I think, you know, I, I don't think it's an easy answer to say that there's, there are, you know, just three themes and that's how it works. I think what it comes down to is, you know, if we go back to what are you trying to achieve here and what's the most important motivation for you? Uh, is it, is it just about making money? Is yeah. it about an Island, you know, and, and a Ferrari, right? right. right. And, 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 and if it is right. Okay. Let's have a look at what those admit options it. are and admit it. Right. And just admit it and solve for it. Right. And just, I'll give you, I'll give you a live conversation I had today. Right. So with a guy, he's probably going to sell his business for, it's going to be in the tens of millions. Right. And it's about 18 months out. And he said, I, I don't want to do any of this earnout stuff. And I said, well, you're the CEO. So it's that right now that's going to happen. <laughs> and he goes, and he, he went mental. Ah, I want to do that. And I was like, well, what do you think is going to happen? You reckon that, you know, you're just going to get this chunk of cash and then like the, 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 they're left with this thing. And he goes, well, no, I'd stick around for a week or so. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Right. So, <laughs> so what, so this is, this is an important part, right? Cause, cause the most important value to him is freedom, right? Financial freedom and time freedom. So before we sell the business, we need to structure underneath him, someone who's either going to run the business, so he's going to have to move into the more the owner-investor role earlier before the sale possibly, so that when the business is sold, he's not the you know deemed as the person who's crucial. Now, I said to him, you're probably still going to have to stick around for 12 months, right? And it might be in a more non-exec capability, but you know, that's, a, you're still going to, that's probably the best you're going to get, right? And he was happy with that because he understood it. We didn't want to do three years. Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's interesting. You, you brought it like, th this is where that mindset shift of like, you're going to hire someone. If you're replacing your CEO, you, yourself a CEO, you're probably well into the six figures of, of an investment. But what you're doing is you're buying your freedom of time and money. Like yes. you just said, right in the wealth creation of that transfer of the asset. Right. So like you're going to burn some EBITDA to give yourself only 12 months or a board spot instead of actual a job for and a huge chunk of that in an earnout. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's an intentional decision at that point. Exactly. And, and, you know, to give you another perspective, a different one. So maybe this, this is a different theme. I, I have other people I've worked with who their sole desire is to create empires, create an empire. And, you know, what is the definition of that? It doesn't really have one other than I look at it as, you know, multiple business investments and, creating greater impact. So it's not just about the money. The money is part of that, but it's about bigger impact. So, so for me, that's what I'm doing. And it's not just about, as I said, money, it's about to some extent, the conscious capitalism piece. Yep. Now those people, they might not want to sell their business fully. They might want to go in there and, and not take much money off the table at all. I mean, I, I work with a guy who um, he was given 35 million for the sale of his business. And he took five and put the whole rest back in there and, and basically recalibrated his options in a bigger entity because he wanted to go again. Hmm. And actually it wasn't about the money because he already had wealth from other areas. It was the game. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's answered it. I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a straightforward answer to the question. I get where you're coming from, but it does depend a lot back to the motivation of what that individual is trying to achieve 
Well, I think that's that's the best point of the, like the stories that we just covered is because, you know, in our education, we talk about it, but it seems kind of fluffy for people sometimes. But like what you just said is it just completely depends on what you want. Like, I mean, like I was uh, I was on this call with a client yesterday and we were going through all these options and all these. And we got so granular into the modeling of tax ramifications and deal structures. And then they're like, I get it because I just kept pushing back. And they're like, I guess it just depends on what we want, huh? And I was like, I told you you were good at finance and stuff. You know, you're you're going to be like, you're you're going to be really good at all that stuff. When people start talking about tax, my my eyes glaze over again. Um, (laughs) Not that I don't think it's important, but 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 I I I live at this kind of fifty thousand foot view all the time, and I'm always looking for the next the next kind of nuance of stuff. But but you're right, like you know, you're 100 right. And and the thing I would like to you know people listening to this is there there are many many options. Right. Most people think that there's only one or two options. Now, there are only three ways you can sell a business, right? You can sell it to another person, you can sell it to another company, or you can sell it to private equity. And private equity has a number of different tangents to it. You've got family offices and you've got the firms and all that. But, but they're all going to give you a different experience. So when we sold uh, EMAP to Bauer Media, that was bought by a family. So family office, effectively a family company. And I remember because I was involved in some of the conversations, you'll like this, right? <laughs> so we had all the private equity firms turning up and they had literally 20 or 30 people in the room. Oh gosh. And Heinz Bauer turns up and there's him and one other guy, right? And they're both like gray haired. It was like some weird sort of mafia thing. It's a big <laughs> German family office really. And, and like, you know, literally there's like, you know, all everyone's presenting and there's like two guys sitting with like a sea of chairs. And in the end he paid a lot more money for the business than potentially what it was worth. And his whole um, rationale was, I have a 20-year uh, return on investment um, philosophy. As long as I can give this business to my kids, my grandkids in a better shape than what I purchased for it mm-hmm. or what I bought it for in that day, then that's what, I'm, that's what my whole plan is. And so if you think about that, that's a very different you know, acquisition uh, or exit than selling to a PE firm that's wanting to you know, double, triple the growth over the course of time. With a date to sell the business. On yeah, the and yeah, exactly. Yep. But back to motivations and back to kind of what do you want? Um, you know that that could be that could be something that's perfect for you know. I've seen people sell their businesses, take some money off, and then they want to just keep running the business, but they just don't want to have the pressure of ownership. Mm-hmm. Okay, choice. So as we're rounding towards the the last chunk of this interview, there's there's a question that I had for you because um, you and I both talked. You have run an insane amount of marathons and <laughs> yeah so i've got i've got i've got my tally of how many days i've been working out for the last 15 years but it doesn't compare to your your ultra marathons and marathons but if there's this concept nick of in my opinion discipline equals freedom and mm. the reason for this is because i grew up and i used to just always do whatever i wanted like that was the sales guy i could always i mean i was the you know a little bit more on the class clown goofy end of the spectrum and and then it was like, okay, well, wait a second. In order to truly have that level of freedom and creativity to, to be myself, I need to do this discipline. So it's the hard work that allows me to actually enjoy that. And I've seen that in business where you're kind of like, okay, so the person that is the creative founder or the creative entrepreneur, the typical entrepreneurial DNA, some of the stuff that we're talking about is a little kind of anxiety filled, right? You're like, wait a second, process, you said process and structure and board chair and board seat. And so what, what, what's your philosophy on that whole discipline equals freedom and like this journey that we're discussing for the someone that might not, it might not come natural to them. 
Yeah, I, I've got some strong views on this. Um, and there are, I was having a conversation yesterday about what's the definition of extreme, because extreme for you or me or someone else might be very different. You know, me running 100 miles might be the same <laughs> as someone running 5Ks, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah. So, so I, th I think what it comes back to is, is this, is the, and this is what I believe, right? It's just as easy, if you like, to do what you should do versus what you shouldn't do. Like, you know, so there's a point there where we all know if we want to kind of get a six pack, you know, even as a 46 year old guy, we'll pretty much do it. Right. Mm -hmm. In fact, I lost 25 pounds last year just to try some stuff out. Right. You know, and I wasn't carrying that much weight, but I thought I'd just try and get super lean and, and all that. And what did I do? Right. I got, you know, at least seven hours of sleep. I drank, you know, three liters of water a day. I trained at the gym four times a week. I made sure I had 10,000 steps, no more than 2000 calories. Everything was measured. Mm -hmm. Right. And guess what? You I did. got, I got an amazing <laughs> shape. Right. Now that, you know, the whole thing here is it's not complex, but it's not easy. Right. It's simple to do, simple to understand, but not easy to do. Right. And so that's the same in business, same in life. So what I often say to people is this, you're going to have to, to to get, you know, a level of wealth or freedom. If that's what your goal is, you are going to have to do some things that are uncomfortable, right? And to sort of join the dots between the marathons and all the ultras and all the things that I do is I found that through running and through exercise, that gave me the grit, the fortitude to be able to deal with the various challenges that come from business. So if, I, I do those things not really to work on my physicality. I do those things to work on my emotional state and mindset. Because, you know, there's a point in those sort of events where there's no certainty you're going to get through them. So right. you could argue that you're facing failure. If failure means not completing, you know, right, not finishing, not your intention. You're facing failure and it's a very real threat. Mm -hmm. So you, you have to go through that. But you, because you're putting the goal out there and, and you're getting used to failure, because, you know, I haven't finished every run I've started. I've had some some good ones and I've had some pretty bad ones, right? Some, I can still remember them. Um, but then when I, I get into a boardroom and I'm trying to do a big deal or I'm negotiating on behalf of a client, you, you have a degree of um, confidence and resilience in those settings, which comes from the discipline and habits of other things. It's, it's super interesting, man. Cause I think, you know, everything you just said, I totally agree with. And I think for me and what makes all of that failure okay, and some of the people that I watch that are very successful is their vision is big enough and clear enough that allows their journey to be in that failure and that pain to be worth it because they're constantly getting up to march towards that vision. And I don't know if I like it comes back to from our family business where like I mean, truly our family business plateaued at one point with where my dad thought it should be with revenue. That was always his goal and he hit that. And then it's like, now what? And there's a lot of well, I think there's a lot of people out there from the cash flow or the lifestyle perspective, they grow this business to buy their financial freedom or time freedom. They hit, you know, call it six figure salary plus the, you know, maybe it might be a seven figure with distributions. And that's all they could wrap their head around. And then that's just that. And so when you go to them and you ask, what's the big vision of this? They actually don't know. And so then why would you fail if you don't know why you're doing it? And then it kind of becomes this like vicious reinforcing cycle. Yeah, I heard something else, and I, I, I kind of wish I remember who told me this. I think it might have been in a book, but um, it was uh, effectively we all have this, you might have heard this, we all have this uh, temperature kind of gauge, if you like, mm -hmm. and we, we live within, there's a comfort zone. Your comfort zone and my comfort zone are going to be different. But as soon as you go above 
that temperature gauge, you start to feel very uncomfortable. And then you, you do whatever you can, you sabotage stuff to get back to your comfort zone. I find that by doing difficult things and, and putting myself out of my temperature gauge into areas where it's discomfort, it allows me to do one of two things, either increase the range that I can therefore play in or to perform at a higher level. And that, and, and that, and that's a massive um, advantage. And I remember, I'll just give you one very quick story because I know we're getting close to time. I used to coach uh, youth basketball. And I remember one year I was coaching under 16 boys and they, um, we, we had a really small team and in basketball, obviously that's not great. We had a quick team, but they're very small team. Right. <laughs> and I remember what I did, I was a personal trainer back then. I had a personal training business when I was in my sort of early twenties. And I thought, well, how are we going to win the season? Right. Cause we, you know, we, we just, we just, we had some good players, but we weren't like an amazing, like all-star team. So what I did is in training, I made them do like, again, military level, um, PT, <laughs> like, you know, Navy SEALs, buds training stuff, you know, so they would do like an hour of running after the practice and run up and down the bleachers and do all these wall squats. And, and we ended up winning the championship that year. Right. And I remember in the final game uh, and we were playing against a team that had not lost for, you know, not lost a game. I think, I think they were certainly, they were definitely top. We weren't top. We'd come into the playoffs about third or fourth and we won the, won the championship. And, and what I said to them, as I said, you know, the reason that you're going to win is because you've worked much harder than these guys have. And I reminded them of how, how hard they worked. And what that was is they had the self-belief, the grit, the resilience, the discipline of the effort which gave them so much confidence and self-belief that even though the obstacle on paper or from anyone looking at it would have seemed insurmountable, they did it. And it's the same in business. It's the same in, in you know, anything you want to do, you know, you, you've got to get it. And a lot of it's about working on your mind and, and getting working on that belief. And I think, you know, that in that example or any of it, like the, the examples of the entrepreneurs that we both talk to talk about or our own journeys what is your thoughts on like how the education of what, like, I'll just explain my point of view is like, I believe that education and then a big clear picture allows that journey to be possible. Cause like, if you don't know where you, what the possibilities are, how do you, like, how do you even create that vision? Right. So it's kind of like this combination of ex of education plus the big vision. Cause if you were to go to an entrepreneur and explain it, like, what are some of the things that you have to explain to them to say, Hey, this is what's possible. Cause they might not necessarily know where they, 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 they hit a creativity threshold where they just, because of the lack of understanding the world that you and I come from of private equity and doing deals that you just, you don't even know what, you know, capital gains or, or carried interest is on a fund. You know what I mean? Like, it's just something that is not part of your toolkit at that point. So what is some of your thoughts on like that education and the big vision to keep that discipline? Yeah. So I think first and foremost, you're right. So there's a piece whereby think of it like sketching something like, you know, the entrepreneur might be able to do a, a few pencil strokes of what they're trying to achieve, but quite often, you know, someone needs to come and color that in. Mm -hmm. And that's usually what I do. It's what you do, right? You, you show them what's possible. Um, and that is education. It might be a bit of inspiration actually. Mm -hmm. Right. And then, and then that's all great, but it doesn't necessarily provide the map of how to achieve it. They might have clarity of where they want to go, but they don't know how to do it. And if I think about back to what I've done over the last certainly five years, but even longer, any success I've had in anything actually has always been to get as close to someone who's done it before mentors, coaches, whatever, you know, when I was, um, when I lost that 25 pounds, I had a really good personal trainer who was working with me all the time, not, not lifting, you know, uh, spotting me on bench press, but just looking at my analytics and giving me guidance. Mm -hmm. So I think 
the secret to this is really clear. First and foremost, as we said, you've got to know what you want to achieve. If you don't know exactly what that is, you need to get some people to help you do that. Then you need to work out, okay, what's the, what's the plan and the milestones over what time period and get quite precise again on what that looks like. And then you need to um, have support around you. You need to ask for help, whatever that is. And if you can put all those things together, success pretty much becomes inevitable. You know, you, it doesn't mean you're going to get there straight away. It doesn't mean you're going to have failures, but you're going to get there in the end because you've done everything around you. You're increasing your education, you're increasing your accountability, and then it all starts to come together and work. And then, the, like you said, it's not complex it's, it's, and it's not going to be easy. <laughs> but, the- no, but it's about execution, you know, and, and um, one of the things I think I've, I've got a saying, which is uh, be grateful, be brave, have faith, show up. It's a bit of an affirmation of mine. I say it every day. And all of the, all of the points are important, right? You know, be grateful for what you've got now, right? You know, uh, be brave. You've got to make some tough decisions sometimes. Even, you know, people who get, get on in life make decisions when they're scared anyway. They still do it. You got to have faith, which is partly about not, not the religious side of that. It could be that, but it's more about belief, right? And the last one's probably my favorite. It's showing up, right? You know, it's executing every day. It's having the discipline, you know, realizing that you've planted the seed and the tree's not going to be there straight away. But you have to, you know, you're going to do it. It's going to, it's going to be there someday, right? With the right attention, the right, the right activity. So, for me, it, it's it's not difficult. It's not difficult getting a business success. But at the same time, it's not easy because of how a lot of people show up and how a lot of people, um, you know, try and do it without the tools, the resources, the mindset, et cetera. So the, you know, in the, the kind of the root behind that too is staying clear on your true north, right? Like, and I don't know if there's like a degree of relativity that's necessary or like, um, and I'll give you a couple examples. And then one, cause I listened to the, the interview with you is that, you know, there was one, uh, Ken Clothier, I just interviewed him recently. I don't know if you've heard the name before, but, um, he had a bunch of very challenging life issues, then grew a successful empire. So it's like the, why became, they became about the journey and the self growth. Mm-hmm. So like, it, do you have to experience some sort of major down period in your life to, to want something that bad, that the effort and the hard work becomes worth it, like to make that pursuit worth it. And then, um, you know, there's another example I'm interviewing this guy right now. I'm in, a, in the middle of a two part series where like he had a, he owned a nightclub that was, I mean, he was in the, the, the dark depths of the nightclub world. And then he, uh, he, ended up saying, I didn't want to do that. So then he got out of that. And so like, I know that, you know, in your pre- previous podcast that I listened to you, you had, you were double the weights in your adolescence than you are now. And I don't know, yeah. do you have, like in so many entrepreneurs, they, they're the underdogs that make that goal so important. Like when you're doing your ultra marathons, yeah. you're running a hundred miles, Nick, what in the hell are you chasing? <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, no, I, I think, you know, it's a, it's a great question. What I believe is this, right? Is if, if you, if you live in the sort of lane of mediocrity where it's kind of not great, but it's not bad, right? You end up in this kind of weird comfort zone whereby, you know, you can, you, I, I see people, they can live their whole lives like that. They end up retiring from a job they've hated and, and, you know, hopefully they don't, they don't look back and have regrets, you know, at the end of their life, but I certainly would. Mm-hmm. So what I find is when you have had challenges in your life, you've had pain uh, in different ways, you only have really a couple of options. 
when you're in that place because it, it it's very very uncomfortable you either give up right you know and and people get depressed and they do all sorts of crazy stuff in that state or you turn things around and i don't i don't necessarily think that you have to have that to be successful but i do think it helps particularly because and i said this on i did a i did a podcast uh, last week which was called incredible lessons from loss you know mm. and, and and story of my my father and my grandfather dying on the same day 10 years apart and they were the most you know those two men were the um, most influential in terms of me and my grandfather was the first australian to run a marathon after um, open heart surgery and so there was a lot of inspiration as to why I run because it's a connection with him. It's one of the reasons. Hmm. But but the point the point being is that I find that once you pull yourself out of some of those situations, and you you develop the muscle, you can do it again. And you often have a certain level of standard that changes in your life that you want to go to another level yourself. You so I don't think you have to have it, but I think you know what. Like your temperature range at that comfort level, like you're, yeah, you're, de- you're definitely increasing your range. Yeah, you're definitely increasing your range, and and it just so happens that I think it's like someone you know I, I've got a couple of friends who have had um, cancer, and you know had survived it, and they have a very different appreciation for their life and what they want to do after that. Now it doesn't mean they go off and you know create million pound businesses. They might be more present with their families and whatever it is, but they they have a, a step change. Mm-hmm. in how they how they show up and so i don't think you need to have had it but it's funny the amazing conversations i've had with successful entrepreneurs over the last year on my podcast more often than not there's been some spark some catalyst which has ignited them to do something extraordinary that is amen brother <laughs> and like if we can hopefully avoid someone of the real the real pitfall then they can uh, make this intentional decision before something like that happens i know i don't wish it on anybody as i said but i think at the end of the day i think sometimes i, I often say that you've got to look at those challenges as gifts so when i was an overweight kid growing up you know it, it taught me so much about transformation and then I've applied that in everything. I've applied that particularly in businesses. And I think had I have not gone through that understanding, mm-hmm. then I wouldn't be as effective as I have been. Well, I think that's where really linking the vision that you have with the hard work. I mean, it, be, it becomes worth it, right? I mean, the, the whole journey becomes worth it. And the structure, if, that, if that's something that people uh, avoid. Um, all right, man. Well, I, this has been a blast, dude. I have actually, I, I can't tell you how much I've enjoyed this. I knew it was going to be a lot of fun. Um, two final questions for you. One is the, what does the word intentional mean to you? Yeah. So okay, I use it a lot as well. <laughs> <laughs> I think you've trademarked it. So it hasn't, you know. I put the team uh, behind it. It doesn't mean it's on, on filing just no, yet. <laughs> but, but it, act, acting with intent, right. You know, acting with intent is, is, is quite a few different things. But for me, it's about uh, making a decision and seeing that decision through with all your might, all your strength, all the best of your ability. Um, because I think by doing that, you build that resolve, you build that that discipline. So for me, intent is, is, is very much um, a core part of my identity. That's why I say it. I like precision. I like intention. Two of my favorite words. What's the best place to find your podcast, you, the company, everything you're doing and, and follow you if people are interested? 
Yeah, cool. So, um, yeah, if you if you've got a business and you kind of want to learn a little bit more about how you can scale it, come and listen to Scale Up Your Business. So that's on all good distribution outlets, <laughs> sort of by iTunes, Amazon. Um, I have a an assessment around those six peaks. So if anyone wants to kind of you know put their business through that, they can certainly give you the link to that. And I tend to hang out mainly on LinkedIn. Actually, um, I try and get back to everybody who reaches out and just wants a you know perspective on things. It's a little bit more difficult these days. It was easier in the beginning, but you know, I always get back to people. So all I say to people, if they want to um, ask me a question or get in touch, just be patient, but I will get back to them. Nick, thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Hey, Ryan, it's been awesome. Thank you so much. And uh, I knew it was going to be fun. I knew it was going to be great fun. And it's definitely exceeded that. So thank you. Thanks for tuning into that episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I wanted to demystify a lot of the misconceptions as it relates to short and long-term incentive plans. I wanted to show you that it's possible to decouple your role from the business while continuing to grow value based on hiring rock stars and incentivizing them to grow value that's truly in line with your own objectives. The big key part of this is you have to know what do you want from your business and why. You need to know what the company's worth today. You need to know what's going to grow the value of that company. And then you need to place people on your executive team that are responsible for growing that value and then let them pay for their own incentive plans based on that future value growth. I mean, doesn't that sound really awesome? It's possible, but you have to understand how this stuff works. Go check out the Intentional Growth course. Go to the Education tab. Learn about business valuations, learn about the strategies that grow value. So then you know what to look for when you're hiring these rock stars and how to tie them into that value growth using the clear financials that you've set up. Thanks for tuning in. I really enjoyed this episode and I hope you did too. And I will see you next week.